Hello and welcome into the Birds and Braves podcast. I'm Luke Winstall, joined by Mike Conti, the radio play-by-play commentator for Atlanta United. Mr. Conti, thank you for joining me. Hey, Luke. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm just still celebrating. And, of course, Christmas was great, too. I got an Atlanta United shirt for the championship. Yeah, me too. I think uh, Santa Claus definitely helps a lot of people with the Atlanta United gear, uh, the championship gear. So uh, glad you were a part of that. Yes, sir. My first question for you, do you have a favorite moment or, as the play-by-play announcer, a favorite call from the past season? Well, boy, I mean, the the MLS Cup final obviously is tough to top, but I have to tell you, Luke, that um, the match that they played out in San Jose on that Wednesday night, really late at night, where they were down 3-1. It looked like they were going to go down 4-1 because Chris Wondolowski scored a goal. Uh, then they went to video review because they realized that there was a handball in the Atlanta box, so they take the goal away, and now it's being 4-1. Joseph Martinez goes down and converts a penalty, and now it's 3-2. Just an incredible swing, and then, you know, they tie the game on a a weird goal where there's a a foul in the box, and the referee lets him play, and Miguel Almarone scores, and then right at the very end in stoppage time, uh, Joseph Martinez puts it away, and you know, that, that's a weird one because it was against the worst club in the league. Uh, you know, San Jose was really, really struggling. Atlanta United was on the end of a very, very long, kind of arduous road trip, and uh, they got it done. And I think from there, that was kind of the springboard. They had some setbacks from there against Red Bulls and against Toronto, but that's the first time Atlanta United had ever overcome a two-goal deficit to win a match, and it was just a very fun wild kind of special second half so that's the one that stands out to me with joseph martinez can you put into context the mvp season and the goal record he broke well it's never been done before in mls and i don't know if it'll ever be done again and the the crazy thing is you know joseph could go out and score 28 29 goals next year and it would be a disappointment compared to what he did this year which seems crazy because no one had ever been over uh, you know, 27 before this year. I think it's very, very similar to when Mark McGuire had his 70 home run season or when Barry Bonds had his 73 home run season. I, I put it right up there with, you know, maybe a, a college football running back having 2,500 yards in a year. So stuff that's never done. Uh, but I, I think we have to remember that Joseph would not have been this productive if he did not get the service that he got from his teammates. So it's great for Joseph, but I mean, think of how many great passes, how many spot on crosses were, were put right on his head or right on his boot by Julian Gressel and Miguel Almaron and Ezekiel Barco. So it's a great accomplishment for Joseph, but quite frankly, I think it's a reflection how well the team was passing in the final third, how well they were converting their chances in the final third. Uh, And it was more than just Joseph that had a part of it. One thing that obviously everybody that talks about Atlanta United always talks about would be the crowd, the environment there. I was able to go to my first game and two games overall in this past season. And I was wondering how much of an impact do you think the fan base, the crowd and the sellouts have on recruiting or signing or getting coaches and players to join the team? Sure. Well, let me ask you first, I mean, which games did you go to? I went to, I believe it was the Portland game. Portland game is a good example. I mean, that was during the World Cup. Uh, 
you know, interest in soccer worldwide was obviously very high. They put that match in a kind of marquee time slot on Fox to kind of showcase MLS and, and you know, there again, kind of sell out crowd, loud, engaged, intense. I think there have been moments this year where crowd noise, uh, you know, the participation of the supporters has absolutely had an impact on matches. And I'll go back to the first leg of the Eastern Conference Final against New York Red Bull when we have that full stadium TIFO, 71,000 people participating in a TIFO. And I think you could just see the expression on the Red Bulls players, oh, boy, what do we get ourselves into? Uh, we walked into a Bears den here, and they played tight and nervous, and Atlanta United won that 3-0. And, and honestly, I think that's the night Atlanta United won the MLS Cup, uh, even though they had more work to do after that. I think that was the night where they kind of locked it up. So, no doubt, it's had a, a big, big impact on matches. And as far as how it could help to potentially recruit players and coaches, I think it's huge. No other club in MLS has fan support to this degree. I mean, there are other clubs that sell out all their matches, but Portland sells out all their matches in a 20,000-seat stadium. Uh, You know, Minnesota did really well attendance-wise this year, limiting their capacity to 25,000 seats. Here you have routinely 50 to 70,000 people, uh, which is something that, that a lot of Premier League clubs can't even boast about. So, Absolutely, it's huge. It's a chance for players in MLS to become rock stars. And uh, I think that that's had a huge, huge role in uh, developing everything. And, you know, to, to go one step further, you know, if reports are to be believed, Frank DeBoer, the new head, head coach, the new manager, one of the things that really kind of made him believe that Atlanta was the right place for him and that it was okay to take a job in MLS after being with three of the biggest clubs in Europe was – when Darren Eels took him up to the, the training ground from the airport, he stopped to get a Starbucks and, and the barista comped his coffee because he was an Atlanta United fan. I mean, Frank DeBoer spoke of how much that meant to him. So, I mean, there's there's primary evidence right there, Luke, that, uh, you know, the engagement of the supporters, the engagement of his fan base has been very, very significant. And I just looked it up. The second game I went to was the Toronto game. Okay, oh, boy. Well, you went to two kind of disappointing games, so we're going <laughs> yes, to have to get you to some better ones next year, I guess. The next question I had for you, are there any Atlanta United players that you could see as breakout candidates for the upcoming season? George Bellow, for sure. Uh, you know, the team went, they traded Greg Garza because they knew they had too many left bats and that, uh, you know, in order to – give George Bellow an opportunity to play, they had to clear that logjam somehow. So, you know, I interpret their move to trade Greg Garza as a almost kind of a validation that George Bellow is going to be a big part of their plans in 2019. And what a phenomenal story he was. You know, 17-year-old kid kind of pressed into action, not necessarily on an emergency basis, but just kind of out of nowhere. And he scores a goal in his first career MLS match and was so up to the challenge and so capable and so poised. And that's very, very assuring to see because, yeah, he's someone that Atlanta United will lean a lot on. I think Mikey Ambrose is another, and and he's someone that, if he had not gotten hurt this year, I think he could have really developed into a stalwart left-back slash center-back for Atlanta United, and the injuries just kind of slowed him down uh, and ended his season prematurely. But with Garza gone, 
Bello and Ambrose are your left backs right now, along with Chris McCann. So uh, for no other reason, they're just going to get a lot more playing time, and that could make them pretty decent breakout candidates. Now I saw that the MLS recently revealed a new playoff format. What do you think about it moving away from the two-leg format and now the higher seed hosting as well in this new bracket? Yeah, I don't like it. Um, it, I understand why they had to do it. You need to make the season shorter. You need to have everything done by the international break in November. I totally get that. I just feel like MLS has gotten big enough now that we don't need to be reducing the amount of playoff games we're playing and reducing the amount of home games that a, that a club could have. If Atlanta United was the number five seed next year, there's a possibility they could go all the way to the MLS Cup final and not play a single home match. That's not good for the league. Um, you know, I understand that the league's TV partners probably feel like going away from aggregate, going away from legs, makes it a little less confusing for the viewers. I, I get that. Um, you know, aggregate scoring is something that's a little bit different for American soccer fans, people who only watch the sport very casually, but... I just think this league's at a point right now where we don't need to be playing less playoff games. We need to be playing more because that's when the league really is showcased. And with the league in general, I was wondering, where do you think the MLS ranks among the leagues in the world? And where could you see it going in terms of the ranks in the future with it still being a fairly, a fairly young league? Yeah, well, nowhere to go but up, right? I mean... And it's come a long way in 20 years. I don't think there's much doubt about it. I think the only way the league is going to climb that ladder, get into potentially a top five, top ten league in the world, is if it continues what Atlanta United has really tried to do, where they get it on the front end of young players' careers out of South America, bring them to MLS and use it as a springboard for them to go to Europe, not the other way around. And look, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Wayne Rooney – definitely made the league better this year. I mean, I, I'm not saying they didn't, but we've had too many occasions of players who are coming over to the United States, Bastian Schweinsteiger, uh, David Villa, who are basically using MLS as a retirement home. That, to me, is not the direction we need to go in anymore. We need to see more Ezekiel Barcos, more Miguel Almarons, more Joseph Martinez's coming out of South American countries, coming here to MLS, using it as an opportunity to get noticed for two or three years, then get the big payday in Europe. And, and obviously the Atlanta United model is working. They're the MLS Cup champion. Now, with Tata Martino moving on, the new head coach, Frank DeBauer, has been brought in, and he'll fill the coaching void. What does he bring to the table as a coach, and how different do you think Atlanta's style of play, if different at all, will be under him next year? They won't be different at all, and I think that's why they hired him, because they know that, He's someone who will play pretty much the same way tactically as Tata Martino. And, and Darren Eels was very clear that they wanted to find someone who would be able to work with the pieces that are already assembled here and not try to fit square pegs into round holes, if that makes any sense. So Frank DeBoer will keep things very much as they are, which is a good thing. He's a big name from Europe, a legendary former player with Ajax and Barcelona. So he's going to bring instant credibility into that dressing room as a former player. And he's managed three of the biggest clubs in the world, Ajax, and he won four straight herd of AC titles with Ajax, which shows you what he can do with support and infrastructure. He was at Inter Milan. He was at Crystal Palace. So you found a manager who was just in the Premier League and convinced him to come to MLS. That is huge. And I think he's going to be phenomenally successful here. 
Now, a few days ago, Atlanta was able to re-sign their captain, Michael Parkhurst. How big is that for the team to have him back for next season? Well, I think it's enormous. Um, and it, it, it's more, it's not from a leadership uh, perspective necessarily. I mean, it, it's huge to have your captain come back from a leadership standpoint. I just think he's a really good player. You know, borderline best 11 defend this year was an all-star. It should have been. Uh, Atlanta United does not win the MLS Cup without Michael Parkers because he was that solid as a center back. So hopefully, you know, he feels like he still has a, a, enough tread left in the tires where he can play at the same level for another year or two. You know, Frank DeBoer was a former center back. So the, the center back, I, I have to think, will be a, a pretty big part of, of what Atlanta United will do tactically. You want someone solid at center back. Atlanta United was an extremely good defending team in 2018. That's why they won the Cup, quite frankly. He was the quarterback of that defensive unit. So very, very big uh, to see Michael Parkers come back. And currently there are rumors of Almiron being moved and allegedly Newcastle is interested. So can you give any insight as to whether or not fans should expect Almiron back? I think if they get the right offer, they will, but I, I have no insight to give you. They don't tell me how to call games, and I don't tell them what to do with players. So <laughs> I, I wish I knew more, but I really don't. If the next season begins and Almiron is not with the Atlanta team, who would you like to see replace him? Well, boy, I mean, they're so deep as it is right now that it could create more opportunities for Gressel. It might create more opportunities for Barca. I mean, certainly Barca will benefit from more playing time next year. His season in 2018 was just so choppy from an injury standpoint and benching. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be a real opportunity for Barca to play more. But I wouldn't assume anything on, on Almiron yet because the team has him under contract for three more years. Atlanta United has the leverage here. I mean, they don't need to move him if they don't want. Um, so I, I don't think it's necessarily a done deal that he'll be gone yet. Some rumors that I've heard with Gonzalo Nicolas Martinez from River Plate with him joining the Five Stripes, and with reports I've seen he even will be joining in January. So what have you been hearing about him, and what could he bring to the team's attack? He's a great player. Uh, he would be a very, very good central attacking midfielder. Led River Plate to third place at the Club World Cup led River Plate to the, the championship of South America, one of the 100 best players in the world. I mean, that would be a huge, huge get for Atlanta United if they pull that off. Mr. Conti, that's all I had. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Luke. Anytime.